At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I want to start this episode off with a few thank yous. Thank you to the Goth Librarian podcast. You have helped me out immensely. And for anyone listening, you should check out her podcast. It's more of a history lore-ish podcast where she tells stories about the macabre and the mysterious. Also, a big thank you to Erica for helping me with my emails and responding to Facebook messages. You guys just helped me out immensely. Also, I'm about to play a promo. I know this is a first on my peripheral, but this is a podcast that very much resonated with me, and I think it'll resonate with you, and found that it was one of the few podcasts out there in the world that reminds me of The Peripheral. I had the pleasure of meeting the host, Wit, at the podcast movement in Philly, and we hit it off pretty well. Without further ado, we live our everyday lives with the sense that we know who we are, what we want, and what will happen. But at some point, many of us will experience something unthinkable. A massive, unpredictable disruption that rattles our sense of self at the core. Who are we then? How do we recover? What do we become? I'm Whit Misseldine, and these are the questions at the heart of This Is Actually Happening, a podcast featuring the uncanny, extraordinary, true stories of events that have dramatically altered the lives of ordinary people. With riveting accounts of near-death experiences, traumatic childhood events, and spiritual transformations, you'll meet a son who was shot by his own father, a woman who is kidnapped by a fake police officer, and a man who woke up in the morgue. I didn't know who the other half of me was. I didn't know what his name was, who he was. I knew nothing about him. All of a sudden, within 100 meters of your house, that's where the worst thing happens. It's suddenly the world becomes different. You can't go back to who you were. You think you know what's going on, but you don't. (laughs) You think you have control, but you don't. You can find This Is Actually Happening on your favorite podcast app, as well as SoundCloud and Spotify, Wondery.com, or ThisIsActuallyHappening.com. Okay, now, welcome back to The Peripheral. Uh, This will be my official Halloween episode, and if you think back to my other Halloween episodes or other episodes in October, you might remember one called Sleep Disorders, where I covered sleep paralysis and night terrors. Uh, This episode is about sleepwalking. I interview two guests, both with their own podcasts, who will tell stories about their own experiences with sleepwalking or a family member or a loved one that is sleepwalking. So we'll get two different perspectives here. Your story is really your husband's story. Yes. He won't ever record on a podcast ever, I don't think. (laughs) I I think this actually works out better because when you're suffering from sleepwalking, 
you don't know what what you're, you're what you're doing. So it actually takes somebody else to describe it. And that's exactly what he said. He said, "You're there's no one better to tell my story than you." So yeah. here I am. <laughs> All right. Well, introduce yourself, and and uh, we'll jump in. Okay. I'm Nikki. I'm the host of Strictly Homicide. I cover lesser known cases out of the state of Arkansas. That's very specific. <laughs> it is very specific. <laughs> and there are a lot. <laughs> I started making a list and I'm like, I could do this show for like seven years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In any state, just pick one. I mean, Florida would take a century, but most oh, yeah. of them. <laughs> I guess maybe tell us how you met your husband and when you started seeing this. I've already shared my story on how we met on um, Pretend Radio, actually. Uh Uh, We met online, which um, is funny, but it worked. That's the way it happens these days. (laughs) Don't be shameful about that at all. Oh, no, (laughs) I'm not. We love it. And especially because we met on MySpace and it's like non-existent anymore. That's not even um, that's not even a dating app. Come on. I know. I know, right? <laughs> so we met online and as soon as we met, we just really hit it off and we kind of just never left each other's side. So <laughs> we got married in 2010. His sleepwalking, which goes along with his seizures, actually didn't start happening until about 2012. So it came on out of nowhere. So it wasn't like on your first or second date, he said, I have this problem and you could have ran at that time. No, this is something. No, nope, I, <laughs> I was already invested. Okay. Yeah. His seizures actually started first. I guess I never really put two and two together that it was sleepwalking. It took me for, for a while. I thought he that was just him coming out of a seizure. He would have a seizure. And then when he would, and I put in quotes, come to, he is sleepwalking. He's alert, but it's not him at all. Now that he has nocturnal seizures, it's worse. And he's in that daze for about 30 minutes. I mean, I guess if I saw somebody have a seizure and then they were acting weird for the next 30, 40 minutes, I wouldn't think anything of it because I'd think, well, they're in a daze. They just came out of a seizure, right? That's exactly what I thought it was. I thought he was just coming to... They couldn't diagnose his epilepsy at first because when he would do the EEGs, they wouldn't show up. So I have done, I'm basically an armchair detective. So I'm an armchair um, doctor now too, because I've like explored everything you could know about epilepsy and seizures. I started just with the research realizing he's sleepwalking. This isn't him just, Mm -hmm. he's sleepwalking. Like he gets up. It's not what people think. Like, it's not in the movies at all. And especially because he's coming out of a seizure, his mind is just, I mean, I don't know what's going on in there, but he usually bites his tongue too. So that makes it worse. Mm -hmm. He walks around, but he's, he's a very strong man too. So I, and I'm only five, three, I'm not very strong. I have to try and hold him so that he doesn't, fall or run into things because he will he'll just run into like the closet it's almost like he's trying to go to narnia or something he goes in the closet and he's literally like looking for a door or something he just wants out i don't know where he's trying to go but he it's like he's lost and he's trying to go somewhere he doesn't know who i am he can't really speak when he's sleepwalking but he'll try (laughs) i joke with him because i say 
all he does is say the F word. <laughs> I don't want to cuss on this show. So I don't know. If I, and I'm like, I don't know why you're saying that over and over again. And he thinks it's because he bites his tongue and it hurts. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the strangest thing. But um, the last one I actually got on video to show the doctors, though. Yeah. I, I've heard that some people say, don't video me when I'm having a seizure or when I'm sleepwalking because yeah. it's embarrassing or whatever. But you're doing this to document it because you're trying to get them help. So no one has seen it but me, him. And the doctor, like, I I won't show anyone else. I didn't want him to see it. I probably should have just not told him I had it. But I was able to get him diagnosed that way because the the neurosurgeon said, or the neuro doctor said that if I didn't have it on video, they might not have shown up on the EEGs again. This time he was in a seizure when he came into the hospital, though, because he had one on the way in the ambulance. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't need the documentation. But this way that neuro doctor actually got to see what he was doing during the seizure and then after the seizure. So yeah, it's not for any other reasons than to get a diagnosis, but he actually grabbed my phone and watched it when I left the hospital room and didn't tell me, you know, I came in and he was obviously very upset. Like his biggest thing was, I can't believe you have to go through this, but mm. I'm like, I'm your wife. <laughs> yeah. I'll go through anything for you, you know? So, um, but yeah, I don't do it for any other reason and no one will ever see that video other than a doctor. Was it the same situation where he was cussing and wandering around and, and- yes, mm-hmm. he gets, um, very combative. Mm-hmm. So like when he went into ICU, this last one was the biggest he's ever had. He actually had four back-to-back seizures each time got up and was sleepwalking the ambulance. Sometimes the ambulance come and we live literally across the street from the fire department. So they'll come and help me. Mm -hmm. And then once he settles down, they leave. They don't make him go to the hospital usually because normally it's only one, but this last time he just kept having them. And so that the last time I said, I don't care where you take him, take him, like get him somewhere. These need to stop. Mm -hmm. And um, they had to intubate him this last time so but the videos did help you know because she could see how the jerking movement because it's it all depends on so much stuff like uh, movements you have and everything and then I did keep recording during the walk sleepwalking because I kind of wanted to show the doctor too to, to make sure that's what it is and they did they were like yes that's sleepwalking afterwards so but he gets real combative this is why I I really was when I saw you were doing this episode, I really wanted to get it out there because I'm looking at it mm-hmm. from the, it's not someone who actually sleepwalks, it's who sees it. It can be a dangerous situation. I see how it could be. I've just been very lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you tried to restrain him or stop him, he could push you or, I mean, he's, yep. he's mobile enough where he can fight. Right. Absolutely. And he will, cause I, I will try and restrain him and I know you're not supposed to, but I'm not going to chance him hitting his head after having a seizure. You know what I mean? So this last time I actually, this is going to sound crazy, but it's what you have to do. This last time he had them in our bedroom. And so I just shut the door and sat in front of the door. He tried to, and he tried really hard, but to get out, but I was able to keep him in our bedroom so that I knew he wasn't walking downstairs or trying to go outside. If you shut that door, he would be coordinated enough to like turn a knob and open it, right? 
Oh yes, absolutely. He'll open doors. He, um, we have our house is older and we have this weird sliding door for our bathrooms. He doesn't get that though. So he'll try and open it like a regular door and not slide it. But yeah, he can open, like turn the knobs. It, I swear it's like they're, they're there, but they're not. I don't even know how to, it's really hard to explain. <laughs> but yeah, he can do everything. He can walk. Um, he'll sit down and stand up sometimes. Um, he can't conversate with you though at all like it's very mumbled and just doesn't make sense except for the f word (laughs) (laughs) which we think is we love that we think it's great you have to be able to laugh at it yourself you know yeah so and he loves that he's like it's my favorite word (laughs) (laughs) it's the one that he knows how to enunciate the best right (laughs) (laughs) yeah that last one was that one of the scariest ones that you've uh, absolutely yeah i I have a really hard time falling asleep at night because I think as soon as I fall asleep, he's going to have a seizure and, and do all that over again. We haven't had another one since, since then, thank goodness that they had to change his medicine. He was on the wrong medicine the whole time, which we found out later, but yeah, I couldn't fall asleep because I'm so scared. He's going to do it again. And I'm not mad about it. Just, I don't want him to hurt himself or go through that again. How often does he have them? Before we changed the medicine, he was having them every four to six weeks. And it was like on routine too. If you don't want to share, it's okay. But do you know what medicine he's on? And Oh, I don't mind sharing oh, at all okay. because hopefully if other people are taking it, they'll look into it. They had him on um, a Depakote, which is a very common drug that they put people on for um, seizures, especially when they can't diagnose them with epilepsy. And come to find out, the Depakote was actually helping him have the seizures. They were, it was like causing the seizures. First of all, it messes up your liver bad. So we had to always be checking his liver and, and his numbers were really off whenever he was in the ICU. So they took him off the drug for that reason. And then kind of explained to me more that this just wasn't the medicine for him. So they tried him on Keppra. It's, it's working. I mean, he hasn't had another seizure. He gets the auras every now and then, but not a seizure. So what are the auras? So the auras are like sign that they're about to have a seizure. Some epileptics have them and some don't. Auras also, like I think uh, people with migraines get auras too, but it's the best way to describe it because I've never had one is he says it's a deja vu feeling. Yeah, which is weird. I, I hate deja vu, so <laughs> I would hate that. But yeah, and then it's almost like it goes into like a panic attack. He'll be alert, but he'll like start sweating really bad. And and sometimes he just starts talking to me, but he won't make sense. And um, I think it all has to do with because the, the seizures have to do with the brain waves, you know. I mean, I'm not that much of a doctor, so. <laughs> I've only heard the assertions and the uh, marijuana websites make make these claims, but they always say that uh, THC and cannabinoids help with seizures. Yes. I don't and they do. Okay. They they have helped for him um, and other patients. I fo- I follow a lot of um, children who have had like uh, there's this one girl she moved to her name's Supernova. 
it's I think it's on Facebook or whatever. She ha was having like hundreds of seizures a day. Oh, I can't even imagine. And um, the CBD oil is what they moved to Colorado for, and it helped her wow. a lot. When it comes to CBD and THC, even it doesn't destroy your liver. It doesn't have all these nasty side effects. The exactly. Only, the only side effect is you might get hungry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might get hungry or tired, and hey. Sleep's good for you anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the, you know, the anti-seizure medicines, all of them, even Keppra, have really bad side effects. Keppra increases agitation. Oh. So if you're already, uh, you know, if you have like manic depression or bipolar or anything like that, it's going to increase that agitation and anxiety. It's like, well, pick one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody already has a short fuse, then this isn't going to help. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you know, they can give you a mixture of, I hate prescription medicine. I, I mean, I, I'm diabetic. I'm type one. So I have to have it. You know, I have an insulin pump, but I hate it so much because it's just, there's so many bad side effects with every single medication that you have to take, but we take them. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I like him to be seizure free. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, and so he's ha he hasn't had one in a long time. Have they happened in the day? Uh, does he has he ever had one when he's been driving, or is it? No. Um. So he used to have them, you know, just during the day. Or uh, actually, he didn't have any nocturnal ones in the beginning. They were all during the day. Um. Now he he'll have the auras during the day. He'll feel it coming on. Luckily, this medicine's been able to stop him from going into the seizures, but he'll feel it coming on during the day. I think our first scheduled recording, he was having auras that day. And I was like, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight because I don't. I will like kind of fall. It's like the mom fall asleep. The mom kind of falls asleep, but she's listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> so I have to do that at nighttime when I know that he it, he has been sick that whole day because I, if I just feel like I have to, you know, stop him. So, yeah, no, I, I, you're protecting him. You're trying to yeah. look out. I mean, it makes sense. I wanted to ask if, you know, you already said that he's, he can be combative in this state and I don't even know what episode or, or who the people are involved, but there was the whole case of the man accused of killing his wife and mm -hmm. claims he was sleepwalking. Now I think he did it in a way where he like, drowned her in a pool or something which seems very specific but i think he stabbed her like 44 times and then drowned her in the pool too like both what do you, what do you think of that case and what what was your i guess reaction when you heard that do you think it's plausible um so i have mixed feelings about it because i do think it it is i i definitely think it could happen but i think that I would have to look at each situation because surely he was sleepwalking before then. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I don't think Russell could ever do this, but if anything ever happened, I think someone would know, well, he's been sleepwalking for years and years and years where there'll be like 30 minutes that he doesn't know what's going on. Even though he gets combative, it's not like he's wanting to attack a person. It's when you, try and restrain him. So I could see a wife or someone trying to con um, restrain a sleepwalker and them trying to break free. 
but I just, I don't know. Like you said, that's very detailed, you know, especially to stab her and then drown her. I just, I don't know. It's a tough one. We had an, we actually had an incident here in Arkansas not too long ago where a guy had a seizure. They called, you know, 911 and a volunteer firefighter came in the house and they shot him and he died. But turns out he, even though he claimed he um, was sleepwalking from the seizure, he also had meth in his system. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, he got charged with manslaughter. I think it was manslaughter. Mm-hmm. I have to double check, but a lot of I other do- factors going on there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I think there would have to be a lot of factors. It's, mm-hmm. And with the other guy um, who claimed he was sleepwalking, I guess I would like to know more. Like, was he known to sleepwalk for years? You know, has there been documented? Because I think, like in my situation, I've called 911. I've lost count. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they like know who we are, the seizure guy on our street, you know? <laughs> and, and it's, I'm, I'm glad that like you have the fire department across the street and you have paramedics because I can only imagine if a police officer who doesn't know the situation showed up. Oh yeah. We <laughs> dealt with that the first time. <laughs> yeah. um, the police just kept asking me, is he on drugs? Is he on drugs? And I was like, no, he's just really strong. They, the first time when this was like, 2012 or 13 when he first started having them they had to like cuff him and put him on the gurney to put him in the ambulance and the cop just just knew he was on something and I was like he's not I finally lost it on the cop in the in the emergency room because he was convinced that my husband was like on steroids or something and he said something smart ass. And I looked at him and said, do you really think this is the perfect time for you to do that? Like I lost, I was like, yeah. you need to leave. And he, they made him leave. Cause he was just being, you know, awful, but yeah, they don't think that they're sick. They immediately think they're on drugs or, which I understand. Cause they deal with that all day. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, a police officer doesn't have quite the same bedside manner as say a doctor will. So no, not at all. <laughs> And I tried to be so patient, but I'm a little firecracker and I finally lost it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you're, you're worried about your husband, you know, he's not on drugs. You're, you're emotionally invested in him getting better and protecting him and somebody walking into the situation is just going to be very dismissive and it's just not going to fly well. (laughs) Luckily, I have been very lucky. It's only happened that one time. Every other time they're so understanding and they, I mean, we send them thank you cards and everything because he feels so bad afterwards. And they're so, so understanding, you know, but here, I guess, I don't know if it's like this everywhere else. This is the only time I've ever had to call 911. Here they, um, the ambulance, the fire department and the police come, but it's always, you know, firefighters first, which they won't come in your house now Mm -hmm. since that guy shot that volunteer now here and here. And I don't know if it's all of Arkansas or just North Little Rock, but they will not come in your house until either the police or the paramedic get there because they don't want that to happen again. I'm the, I'm out there begging. We don't even own any guns. Please just come help me. He's strong, you know, but they won't. Then the cops will come in and they'll be next because they're close. They're always just like, 
Ugh, you know, and then then the paramedics come and it's like they're the superheroes. They're like out of my way. <laughs> they're really great. We've got great ones here. So, yeah, they're the only ones who really understand what's going on. And I can only imagine people that were sleepwalking back in like the 12th century or 13th century and how they would, you know, probably think, oh, they're possessed and, and oh, yeah. <laughs> a witch or something <laughs> or some kind of creepy thing and would probably burn them at a stake. So <laughs> I could definitely see that thinking that they're because I mean, they're not making any sense and they're just they their eyes are open, you know? Yeah, they definitely probably thought they were possessed by the devil. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting to me because I just assume when somebody's in a sleepwalking state that they're like this mindless zombie and it's, oh, yeah. and it's really uh, eye-opening to me that they can open a door or yeah. get in a car and drive away, <laughs> something like that, you know? It's definitely not like how they show on the movie Step Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how they sleepwalk at all. Thank you so much, Nikki, for sharing your story. Next up, we have Bonnie. My name is Bonnie Lee. I have a podcast called Whining About Crime. And I uh, have had a lot of problems with sleepwalking. So I'm pretty excited to talk to you about that today. Whenever people talk about their inability to sleep, either to fall asleep or stay asleep through the night, it does kind of strike a chord with me because I have had so many different issues around having a proper night's sleep that it's something I really covet. I actually sometimes can sort of feel jealous of people who they go to sleep, they wake up, it's no event. It's just what they do. And it seems like it comes so easily for them. Mm -hmm. And for me, that would be a real accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. You should just go to bed and sleep and not think, not worry about it and not have it as a concern that weighs on me. Something that I think about during the day often. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when it's time to go to sleep, it's a bigger worry. And then during the night, I even worry. So... I think about sleep almost all the time <laughs> and I've found that the last few years I have a much better handle on it mm -hmm. but only because I've discovered at a late age how important routines are. That was a hard thing for me to resign myself to. So a routine is helpful to you if you go to bed at a yeah. certain time, do certain things. Yeah, they, a lot of times people will refer to it as sleep hygiene, which doesn't mean you take a shower. <laughs> it doesn't mean you clean up at night. It means you go to sleep at a similar time every night. You try to keep the environment that you sleep in pretty consistent. You kind of nail down how many hours of sleep you need. Some people need six hours. Some people need 10 hours. You have to kind of figure out what is enough sleep for you to feel rested, but not too much that you feel like you overslept. And you just have to stick with that. I'm sure you know from the podcast and just experience in your life, things will come up where people will want you to stay up late or people will need you to be up early in the morning. And there'll be things that you can't control. Your sleep is going to be affected. And a lot of people think you're kind of like a wimp. Are you a wimp when you say, I need to be back and go to sleep by 10 o'clock? You can stay up late. It's the weekend or it's whatever. And not very many people understand when you say, no, I have to. It's hard to explain to people that it's not just something I can play around with or do differently. I have to keep this routine. The consequences are so severe. <laughs> I can't imagine how hard it is for you to convince people because I do not really drink anymore. And for me to turn down somebody's offer to buy me a drink or somebody is like, hey, have one at the bar with me. And 
I'm like, no, nah, I really, I really don't want to. I really can't. The peer pressure from that is so great. Whereas, yeah, just stay up another hour. You know, I mean, and, dr- yeah. and sleeping is nothing like drinking. I mean, I could say, hey, my father died of alcoholism, and and I've been mm. clean and sober for six years, and then maybe they'll be like, oh, okay, I understand. But you can't say. I need to get to sleep. That just doesn't compute with most people. <laughs> well, because it's almost like um, something to celebrate. Have you ever spoken to someone who will say, oh, yeah, I slept for three hours last night, but you know what? I can totally handle this. It's almost like something to champion if you can brag about functioning on four hours of sleep. At the end of the day, it's not. <laughs> you're not taking care of yourself. You have to go to sleep. Yeah. But there's things that happen. I don't have kids, but I imagine that something like that, say your household, if you have a new baby, that would definitely affect your sleep. You can't not raise your baby because <laughs> you have a certain sleeping pattern that you want to stick to. And those things are understandable. But yeah, like you said, if someone's like, hey, stay and have a drink with me, it's hard to sort of communicate to people that that's not as big of a priority for me. And it's not personal against you, but I don't need to stay for a drink. It feels like you're not being gracious or accepting their offer. It can be difficult sometimes to explain it to people without going into great detail about personal things (laughs) that you may not want to talk about. When did you start realizing that you had a problem sleeping? Right. It ran through my whole life, but instead of decreasing like it does for a lot of people, it escalated. So what normally happens is a lot of young people, it's because their brain is developing. People are young. They can find themselves sleepwalking. And a lot of times what will happen is their parents will bring them to the doctor and say, hey, my little guy is sleepwalking. And it's very common for physicians to say, you know what, they're going to grow out of it. Your brain is developing and so your sleep patterns are going to be developing as well. And so it's not unusual for young people to sleepwalk. And it's not considered a really concerning event or thing. It usually passes with time and just goes away. For people that are older, it's very unusual. Sleepwalking is not as common as you would think. I'd say 10% or something of Americans, I'm not sure what it is in Canada. Sleep disorders can kind of be anything from sleepwalking to nightmares or I don't know if you've ever heard of sleep paralysis where people will wake up in their sleep and they can't move and their brain is telling their arms or legs to move and they can't, they're just paralyzed. And then you can have things like sleep behavior disorders where once you go into REM sleep, you act out your dreams. And then stuff like sleep aggression or people that eat in their sleep. There's even people, and I'm not making this up, they can be affected by something called sexomnia, where they're asleep and they have sex with people. I did a Halloween episode two Halloweens ago about sleep paralysis and night terrors. And the night terrors one, she would actually get out of bed and fight off whatever it was. So it was pretty severe. Yeah, I think the biggest question for me is that I can't really sort out and none of my physicians have been able to sort out is for me personally, if my sleep issues come from neurological issues or something in my brain is compelling me mm-hmm. to sleepwalk, there's no real answer for that. I'll kind of explain how it evolved. When I was young, I was sleepwalking and my mom was told exactly the same thing that I mentioned before. The doctor said it's common and they grow out of it. Don't worry about it. So it was just a thing that I did. As I got a little bit older into probably junior high, it started to get a little more freaky for my parents because I would get up, but I wouldn't be doing anything complicated. I would just get up and walk into a room and stand in the room somewhere. 
And it would just seem kind of like a weird horror movie or something like this weird kid. <laughs> this weird kid just walked into the living room and she's standing in the corner. And it's not the way people think about it from the cartoons where you <laughs> you have your your eyes are closed and your arms are out in front of you like a zombie and you walk around. <laughs> it's more scary than that. Either your eyes are open or half open or maybe closed and you're not really there. It was scary for my parents, but not for me, because in that state, you're really sensitive to suggestion. So people don't have to touch you or lead you to a place while you're in that state. They can just suggest to you, go to your room, go to sleep, and you will literally just do what they say. So it was easy for my parents to deal with because they would just be able to identify what was kind of going on. And they would just say, go to your room, Bonnie, go to sleep. And I would just crawl into bed and go to bed. At that point, it was concerning, but there was really no serious consequences to it. And it didn't cause issues making me feel like I didn't have a restful sleep. So it wasn't really a big deal then. But as I got older, it would seem one of the biggest triggers was anxiety. I started getting really bad anxiety in high school because I was of the belief that to get into university you had to have really, really high, high grades. I was very nervous about not achieving at least close to 100% in every class I took. I'm not really academically one of those people that catches on really quick. I have to work really hard for that. So I would stay up really late at night studying, thinking I could always make up for whatever shortcomings I have by just studying harder than other people. What I didn't know was actually, especially in Canada, you don't have to have 100% in every course that you take in high school. Well, just how much money you have, really. Uh, if I had known that, maybe I would have saved myself a little bit of headache. So it was this pressure that I put on myself that if I don't stay up late at night and do really well in my high school courses, my whole life could go down the tube. I won't get into university and then I won't get a good job. I would ruminate. It was kind of when I first started ruminating and I also wasn't getting very good sleep. It was one of these things I did for three years for sure. I don't know that necessarily my sleepwalking got any worse, but my issues with sleep were starting and they were more serious at that point. Like I said, it was exponentially getting worse and worse all the time. So by the time I got into university, it was really bad. The thing that a lot of people don't always connect is when you have issues with sleepwalking where you get up and you just walk around in your suite or your house or your apartment and you do things, there's this weird denial that you can't help because you don't want to admit your vulnerability. It's embarrassing, basically. When I was in university, I'd always have a roommate or someone I was sharing a place with. And there's just this weird response you'd always have when they say, did you get up last night? Were you were you doing this or that? Were you What were you doing in the living room? And you can't help it, but just be like, no, I don't think so. I don't know. You know, it was hard to just say, yeah, I sleepwalk, which is the first thing you should do. You should tell people this is what I do. You kind of go in denial. You don't really want to admit it. So I never really faced it head on. I would always just kind of blow it off. Once I finished university and I started working, the more stress that I had at my work, the more my sleepwalking was getting worse and worse. There were times, and this is where it's really difficult to make peace with it, where I would wake up and I would be outside somewhere. And I didn't know why I was there or how I got there or it would take you a little bit to figure out where you are. How far would you get? <laughs> At first, I kind of would be outside. So that was scary because I would realize I'm not in my, <laughs> in my house. I got quite far as things got worse and worse. As far as just walking on my own, there was one time where I walked in my pajamas out of the house 
to a bus stop that was a couple blocks away. And I was sitting on the bench at the bus stop waiting for a bus, but it was probably four or three in the morning. The police pulled up and they were talking to me and I guess I wasn't really responding. So one of the police officers got out of the car. So when I woke up, the first thing that I woke up to was there was a police officer trying to ask me my name and I could see the convenience store that was behind our house across the street. And I thought, oh shit, I'm outside. He kept saying, do you know who you are? Do you know where you are? Have you been drinking? He kept asking me, have you been drinking? And that's like a really common thing (laughs) sleepwalkers have to deal with. Everyone thinks, you drunk? What are you doing? So I told him, I'm a really bad sleepwalker. I think I know where I am. I'll just go home. And he said, you don't have any shoes on. (laughs) They ended up putting me in the police cruiser and taking me home. The neighbors probably thought something was really weird. And the key thing was at the time I was living back at home with my parents I had finished university and I was just getting going with my job and my parents had gone on vacation. And that is a big, if you want to use the word trigger, that's when my anxiety goes out of control. When I know I'm by myself and if I do do something, there's no one who's going to realize that I'm getting up and leaving the house or staying in the house and turning on an oven or who knows what I would do. And that anxiety would make me sleepwalk. So it would elevate what I would do. Every time that my parents went somewhere on vacation, I would have usually some sort of episode like that. I could only imagine if I was having this, if my parents went on vacation, I would stick a chair in front of my bedroom door, lock myself in my room. Did you ever do anything like that? No. The reason why is my sleepwalking by that point had advanced so much that that would be nothing. I would just move the chair. I knew that certain things would trigger my anxiety, so I would always try to keep them under control. My job was going well, but there was a lot of pressure. Here was the thing that really brought everything to a head. I was working for a company that was music retail, and there were lots of situations where they say, well, you know, you're the manager of a music store. And so there was lots of stuff, go to this bar, see this band, go to this concert, go to that, which I'm not complaining about. That was fun. But you don't have a normal sleeping pattern. It's also the kind of job where you don't work Monday 9 to 5. You work evenings, weekends. I would be moved to different cities. I wanted to move up with my career and go to a bigger store, go to another city and help run that store. But what would happen is I would be by myself. So I'd move to a city where I didn't know anyone and I'd be in a bigger store. So there's more pressure because I'm still in a learning curve of learning how to run that store. The sleepwalking started getting worse. So I moved a few times. I was in Halifax for a while and I changed stores in the city a few times. And then once I was moved to a bigger store in Alberta, my sleepwalking was getting so bad and I wasn't really communicating with my family about what was happening. It was kind of getting worse and worse. I would have this feeling, I I don't know how to explain it better than sometimes people who go out and they drink a lot. When they wake up in the morning, they'll have something we call, at least here in Transcona, we call it the scaries, where you wake up and the first thing is you feel scared because you don't remember. I wonder what I did last night. What did people see me do? (laughs) You know, do I have to be embarrassed? You just feel this weird sensation of what happened last night. I think we just call that regret here. (laughs) But it's because you were kind of out of your mind, right? And you don't know, maybe you did something embarrassing. Maybe you made some bad decisions. Well, for me, it was always I would wake up and go, okay, I wonder what will be the clues that I left myself from last night. (laughs) They were getting increasingly more scary. One morning I woke up and I could see that I had cooked food during the night. So I was cooking stuff. And that's a bad thing. On the stove with heat. 
So I made a turkey burger. So we call it the turkey burger incident. And on this turkey burger, I put fixings like I made it. It wasn't just cooking a turkey burger. It was in the bun with the stuff. And then I didn't eat it. I took it into a walk-in closet and I threw it. It kind of looked like I got mad and I threw it and it went all over the place. When I woke up, I have no idea why or how I did that. But the first thing I did was pretty much hurry to the kitchen and make sure the oven wasn't on. And so that kind of scared me. And then it just started really escalating quickly. I was living in Calgary, which is very different from Winnipeg. It's a big city compared to where I was from. So things were more expensive. My job was more pressure. I had a bigger staff of people to be responsible for. And I didn't want to let anyone down because they paid the money to move me there. And the pressure was just making my anxiety go through the roof. And I still had never really talked to a physician about it, which I should have. And what started happening was it was getting harder for me to be in denial about it because I was bumping into stuff while I was sleepwalking. And at this point, I wasn't leaving the apartment building I lived in, but I was getting bruises. I was bumping into things. So I had bruises and cuts on my body or I'd wake up and my shoulder would be sore or something like things would be tipped over. So then I started to talk to my mom about it. Shortly right around that time, my mom told me that she had breast cancer. So that was concerning me. I was worried about my mom. I was worried about work. I was worried about so many things. And eventually what ended up happening was one day I woke up and in my sleep, I somehow fell in between the shower and the vanity in my apartment and I broke my arm. I didn't remember what happened. I didn't remember anything that was going on. And so I didn't want to tell my mom about that because I was so stupid. I felt so afraid that what would happen is someone would discover that I had something really wrong with me. And that's a big point that I try to get across to anyone when I talk about sleepwalking is it's not a mental illness. Not that there's anything wrong with mental illness or that everybody doesn't suffer with some level of it, but sleepwalking is not something that is really classified mental illness. It's just something that some people do. Unfortunately, it's something that not a lot of people do. So it's really difficult to communicate to other people. They feel that there's something really wrong with you because you're hurting yourself and they're trying to find the answer to why you do it. And so a lot of times I've had people say, oh, you must be an alcoholic or you must be doing drugs or it's not enough of an explanation that you just sleepwalk. There's got to be something else you're doing and you're hurting yourself or you're, you're out doing things that you shouldn't do. And as an example, walking around in your pajamas late at night, it's not just sleepwalking. People don't really comprehend it. I was keeping it to myself, but then after my mom told me that she was sick, I just wanted to go home. And I told my mom, I really want to go home. And she said, don't do it just for me. I'll be okay. And then I told her, no, I want to come home because my sleepwalking is getting really bad and I am hurting myself. I broke my arm. I think the next day my mom flew to Calgary to come get me. She got on a plane, I think, that night and was in Calgary the next day and said, you have to come home. Can't stay here. So that was a big thing for me. It was something that had been going on my whole life. The sleepwalking, it was getting worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden I had to face up to it. So I was living with my mom then. And then it was still stressful because I was kind of reestablishing myself again. I wasn't working with the same company now. I had to look for a different job and I was living at home with my mom. And then I found out that I had to have a hysterectomy and I was still young. I wasn't prepared for the idea that I wouldn't be able to have children. And so that was really heavy on my mind. And all of this stuff was culminating. And then my parents went on vacation. 
<laughs> again. <laughs> Which is the punchline. That was the worst time. That was when I woke up in an ambulance and the paramedic was saying, how much did you drink tonight? And I said, I didn't drink anything. And he said, what were you doing? What were you doing? And he was asking me so many questions and I was still kind of getting my head around. I'm in an ambulance. Like, where am I? And they kept asking me, where were you going in the white truck? And I don't have a white truck. I drive a black Jeep. (laughs) But my stepdad had a white truck. And I never drove it. I couldn't drive it. It was an extended cab truck. I couldn't handle it. But apparently in my sleep, I got up, I got in the truck and I drove it a few blocks away from our house. And then I pulled it over and I left it in park. And then I was just sitting there. And it scared the lady who lived in a house that her fence was up against where I had pulled over in the back lane. And so she called the police. The paramedics told me the police were smashing that window with everything, with flashlights and everything, and they could not wake you up. It looked like you were sleeping. So they broke the back window and then they opened the door and called us and we got you out. And so they towed the truck away and you didn't wake up through any of that. Whenever I would find myself in a weird place, I'd have a kind of explanation that I would make sure I had at the tip of my tongue all the time. I'm a sleepwalker. I don't always know what I am doing. I probably wasn't aware of what I was doing. Took them a little while, but the police officers that brought me home from the bus stop said to me, they both said the same thing, which was, I can't believe it. You are, you're stone cold sober, aren't you? And I said, oh, yes, absolutely. And he just almost seemed like he couldn't believe it. He said, you are, you are, you're sober. So they took me to the hospital and I was in the hospital overnight. And the next morning, my parents were out of town. So my mom had remarried. So I called my dad and he picked me up. He was just like, this is so serious now, Bonnie. We have to do something. So I went to see a doctor and then that's when the search for the solution began. I was on a lot of different medications. I started on Zopoclone to help me fall asleep and deal with anxiety to help me fall asleep, which was a mistake because the Zopoclone is a hypnotic sedative. So it actually isn't good for sleepwalkers to take anything that's a hypnotic because as you fall asleep, that's when you can start doing things. Then they put me on clonazepam so that my brain would kind of shut off from doing activity while it was bedtime. I still wasn't falling asleep. My insomnia was still there. So then they tried giving me a low dose of Seroquel because that makes you really drowsy. Every medication is different for everyone for sure, but that's no way to live. You would just literally wake up and you could live or die that day. It didn't matter. You just couldn't feel anything. For me, it was not the answer. But my sleepwalking was improving with medication. I don't think I've left my home or anything during the night in the last five years. I do live with my boyfriend, so someone is here at night. So I think that eases a lot of my anxiety. But I can tell you one thing that was really upsetting. He didn't fully get how scary or embarrassing it is at first. And so once we started living together, one thing that really kind of made him understand was the cat was walking on me when I was laying down in bed and she started to lick my face. And I would communicate if I was half asleep and I started saying, this lady's licking my face. Get her off me. Get her off me. I don't know who she is. And he thought it was funny. So he was recording it with his phone. And the next day he said, look what you did last night. And he was showing it to me and I got really upset. And he was like, why are you getting upset? It was so funny. But I was really upset because you're so vulnerable when you're doing something in your sleep because you can't control it. For someone to record it or videotape it and think it's funny, it's very upsetting. It's hard to explain. 
No, no, I don't think it's that hard to explain. I think that yeah. <laughs> it's something that you've been dealing with your entire life. If I had a stutter and somebody recorded me with my stutter and said, oh, you're so funny. I don't think that would be funny. Yeah. Yeah, they think it's funny because you're doing something entertaining and it's a lighthearted thing. Nobody's getting hurt. But it's like, no, it's just, this is a deficiency that I have. This is something I'm doing while I'm asleep. He understood from then that, okay, no, it's not funny. But he had to stop me from leaving the apartment a few times. It was upsetting for him too. It also was affecting his sleep. I would be waking up at night sometimes yelling and having a fight with someone, but I would be yelling in the apartment and he'd think, oh my God, the neighbors are going to think I'm hitting you or something. And it was a lot of different reactions I was having as my medication kept getting changed. I would have different behaviors or different actions. Now it's pretty good. I take Effexor to keep my anxiety in check during the day. And that's actually helped a lot because anxiety building up during the day will come out when I'm sleeping at night and it will come out as sleepwalking or activities at night. It sounds like your man doesn't go on a lot of vacations either. So No, <laughs> or he'll make me go with him, which is okay, except when he wants to go camping. I'm not really that into it. Because I'm not alone, that's a really good thing. It makes me feel protected. And then just dealing with having anxiety during the day. I made a really big career change. I got out of selling stuff, you know, working in a store, selling things. And I work at a hockey rink now. So I get to deal with more people in the community where I live. So I feel very comfortable. I know a lot of the people that come there. I work with them more closely. I don't have anyone checking with me every day if my sales are the same as this person or if we push this many units of this album or these kinds of things. It's more I feel like I'm taking care of the building where our community works or where our community is participating in something. So it's not as much stress, but it's still hard work, but it's not that dirty stress. You want to minimize those things, but other kinds of stress you need, like the immediate stress you have when you hit your brake because someone's coming out into the street in front of your vehicle. That's a good kind of stress. You want that. You want to be able to have that reaction where you react fast and it gives you a sort of a zoom. And if you're doing that at work because you're trying to get something done and you're excited about it, that's a kind of good stress. Even if I do have stress during the day, it doesn't make my anxiety go really wonky. So I found a job that is better for me to kind of keep my anxiety down. Not an incredibly high dose of Effexor, but it does help a lot. I don't take a benzodiazepine or anything like that. I just take a pill that will help me to fall asleep. Surprisingly, I'm back at square one because I take the Zopiclone again, only I take half a tablet. And it makes me really tired. And then the rest of my sleep is more natural. And so that's how you keep it in check. You go to bed around a specific time. You try and get a certain number of hours. I mean, it's sad sometimes because there are things that will be going on and I'll say, I can't go. I have to sleep for seven or eight hours. Or if it seems like it's going to be stressful, say I work all day and then someone wants me to do something at night. It's too stressful. If I have to come home, get ready, make it to that place, yeah. have a commitment. I think sometimes people think that I'm being too much of a Fabergé egg, like I'll break if I have to have <laughs> more than one thing to do a day. It's just the way that I have to do things so yeah. that I don't have issues, really bad issues. 
I mean, when I was working in corporate America, I was like you. I'd be like, I have to get enough sleep. I can't go out drinking or smoking mm-hmm. or anything because I have to be on my game at all times. I'm on call 24-7. I have to fix computers and I have to do it with a smile. So I really need to have my sleep and everything. And then mm-hmm. after I've quit corporate America, I still feel that way. Like I'm podcasting. I have to be on my game. <laughs> I don't know all the the generic terms for some of the medications you were on, but were any of the ones that you were talking about, were any of them Ambien? I have taken Ambien. That was one of the medications that we tried. And occasionally I still do take Ambien, but I only take it if I'm having a really, really hard time falling asleep. If it's getting one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, that one kind of scares me, to be honest. It feels too good. Yeah. It's kind of how people will describe heroin to me, actually. Like someone put a warm blanket around you. Mm-hmm. You feel really cozy. I'm really nervous that I would get a bad addiction to a medication yeah. like that. I mean, that's why people use drugs. It's because they feel good. It's not because they feel bad. Uh, right. Otherwise, we wouldn't have addiction problems. Uh, no, ambient, yeah. ambient. that's the one that always gets the bad rap with people that end up sleepwalking on it, even when they're not sleepwalkers. Yeah, because it is a hypnotic sedative. Yeah. I had one incident with Ambien. I was on a business trip. Anytime you go stay at a hotel somewhere, that first night, your survival instincts are kicking in because you're in a weird place and you can't sleep. (laughs) So absolutely. um, I was in this hotel and I needed to iron my shirt for the next day. And typically with Ambien, and I don't recommend this to anybody, but typically with Ambien, you take it and you go lay down and then, you know, you're good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you'll fall asleep. Yeah. I know that there's about a 20 minute-ish window that I could, you know, play with. (laughs) With, Yeah. (laughs) So I'm in the middle of ironing my shirt and I pop my Ambien and I'm finishing with my ironing of my shirt. And then I'm assuming that I sat down on the bed and started taking off the shirt that I had on, maybe to iron it also, you know, get another wear out of it. Yeah. So I sat down on the bed and I started to unbutton my shirt. Then about 45, 55 minutes later, I wake up. Luckily, I was sitting there with my hands on the buttons on my shirt and didn't continue ironing. (laughs) (sighs) But you did have the iron on though. Oh yeah, I unplugged it. (laughs) See, then that's exactly, that's such a good example of how you feel like that was a close one. Like that went okay, but that could have gone very bad. Oh yeah. (laughs) And yeah, that's, it's really, Ambien also is one of those medications that you cannot have alcohol before you take it Mm -hmm. or after you take it or whatever, because I guess alcohol is a depressant on your system. And actually, I mean, that's, I guess, why you hear sometimes about people that overdose. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much an overdose on sleeping medication when you combine it with alcohol. It's that the alcohol is kind of suppressing you, your system. And then the medications also are slowing down everything that your brain is telling your body to do. So yeah. you'll just stop breathing. Yeah. And that's a game you don't want to play is any kind of combining anything with alcohol and sleeping pills. So, you know, from if you're in the business world or podcast world, even when you're out socializing, alcohol is always a big part of that. A lot of people are always like, have a beer, have a whatever. And if you know that, no, I'm 
taking sleep medication in an hour or two. It's really, it's hard to explain to people. No, I can't. I think that we should be able to just say, I'm on prescriptions and I can't do it. Yeah. I have another question for you. Being that you are a sleepwalker, I'm sure you've heard of the case about the man who killed his wife and is using the defense of sleepwalking. I don't know anything about the case. I don't have any evidence or anything to cite, but I'm asking you, do you think it's plausible? I've done some pretty complicated things when I am sleepwalking, especially if I'm not sleeping properly. Recently, Mike Boudet covered that case on Sword and Scale, and I was listening to it while I was working. And I broke down crying when I listened to that episode because I think there is a part of me that thinks, no, there's no way. That's beyond the realm of belief for me, even though I am the first to agree that people can do really complicated and surprising things when they're sleepwalking or in the influence of sleepwalking. So there is a part of me that goes, yeah, but not that. But when I heard more about the details, I really did think that it could be possible because in one of the important details of that case was that he was under tremendous stress because he was about to lose his home and he didn't want to tell his wife. And he was just buying more time with the bank and it was getting down to buying a day before they came and repossessed his home. And he had children as well. And my understanding is that he murdered some of or all of the children as well. So it was really upsetting. And when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, okay, wow. He really just didn't want to face the responsibilities of his life. His way out was to murder his family. But once the idea was presented that he was not awake, I think there was a part of me that believed it could be true because I got personally scared. And I, for a second, connected almost with that idea that, my God, that could have been me. If you didn't have someone in your life who would direct you in that way and tell you this is really serious and it's escalating, that story, that case really scared me because I thought, you know what, I think it could happen. Mm -hmm. And I think it could have happened to me. As my responsibilities in life were increasing and I was getting older and I had more responsibilities and more life experiences that were upsetting and things kind of got real as I got older, my sleepwalking was getting worse and worse. Mm -hmm. For someone all of a sudden who is not really sleeping well to have such a serious bout of sleepwalking where they would do something so extreme but had no prior history of sleepwalking is surprising to me. That gives you pause on that one, yeah. Yeah, makes me question <laughs> Yeah. There was a part of me that reacted really strongly to that case because I think that that is something that could happen. That fellow had not slept for almost seven days in a row. So he was having kind of hallucinations and things like that. And so it could really be true. But I just find it hard to believe that he had no previous indicators. It's just not something that someone who's listening to this podcast is going to go, oh, yeah, one time I was sleepwalking and I did this really outrageous thing and then it never happened again. I never did it again. I mean, it can happen, but it's not typical. I just was curious because we can all sit back and do our armchair detective on, well, sleepwalking and we don't know anything about it. Yeah. And now we do. <laughs> yeah, I can say one thing from now that I'm a bit older now and I think, like I said, I have more tools to deal with it. So I'm more comfortable. But I can say one thing I really learned that people probably know this on some level already, but it never hurts for another person to reinforce the thought. Through that whole time, 
where I had a doctor that was really, I was so desperate for help. She was giving me this, try this pill, try that pill, try this, try that. I really wish I had had more of a core strength to myself and in my mind that I would be questioning what these medications do, questioning what the effect over the long term would be. Once I started looking into those things myself, I was very shocked that my doctor would give me Seroquel and Clonazepam and send me home with them like she just gave me two Tylenols because when I kind of looked up what the effects are, especially over time, if you take it for a long period of time, you can go into early dementia as you age. The side effects are really, really, really serious. And I never had a conversation with my doctor about, okay, once you start taking this medication, here's the things you need to know. And I really wish I had owned it more earlier on. That's really important because all of us will just take whatever the doctor says and we don't question it because we're not doctors. We don't have 20 years of education behind us and whatnot. I take my car in to get it worked on. I don't inspect my car after (laughs) they hand me back the keys. Yeah. Yeah. And when they tell you it's safe, you can drive it. It's safe. You trust that. And I just wish I had taken it upon myself more, ask more questions, become more informed. After the fact, when I realized my physician gave me an antipsychotic to make me feel more tired, that was upsetting. To make you drowsy, you're going to give me an antipsychotic? That is not what this medication's intended for. But when I looked it up, if you Google it, it'll say on most WebMD and the doc sites about medications and how they work, they'll say physicians do use this medication to make you drowsy, help you fall asleep, even though it's uh, intended as an antipsychotic. So she wasn't doing anything that she shouldn't do or isn't a practice that's acknowledged. I learned my lesson about, well, you need to own that. You need to check yourself. You need to look into those things and know what you're taking. Because other people, whenever I say, oh, I, I I took Seroquel for a while. They almost have the same reaction you did almost every time. Whoa, that one's a big gun. That's a pretty serious medication. I know that there's a ton of people out there that take Seroquel and that's their medication and it works for them. So I want to give a little disclaimer here that just because my reaction is, ooh, it's because I had a sliver of a Seroquel pill once Mm -hmm. and you probably could have done whatever you wanted to me for two days straight and I wouldn't have been able to fight you off. You know what, too? It's also some people will have a very blown up reaction to a medication that exceeds what other people would have. And then some people, you could give them double the dose of Seroquel and they wouldn't feel at all tired. Yeah. Well, somebody with OCD, Ritalin or Adderall slows them down, where you Mm -hmm. give me one of those things, you're giving me amphetamine, you're giving me speed, and I'm going to be wired. But it has Mm -hmm. kind of the opposite effect on somebody that's thinking too fast. I think too, it's, well, for some people, Seroquel, it saves their life. It makes them balanced. It makes them feel right. And so for them, I agree. But when you're struggling with a certain medical issue and a doctor's giving you their advice or trying different things and you can see yourself that we're just trying to work out what is the right mix of medications that's going to make me feel right, it isn't enough to just take the prescription from the doctor and then just take the pills and not take responsibility for knowing about what the medications are you're taking, the effect that they can have on you and know when maybe there is something wrong so you can go back to your doctor and say, this isn't the right medication. It's really tricky and it's so different for every person. So there's no way for your doctor to even know unless you're communicating with them what's happening. One of the things that I discovered as my sleepwalking was getting more in control was that I had ADHD. (laughs) 
<laughs> my doctor was like, I don't know what to do with you because I'm all over the place. And so she said, yeah, I'm going to put you on Ritalin, but it's going to be not a time release Ritalin medication. It feels like I'm on this weird cycle of taking something that most people would call an upper an amphetamine during the daytime and then at night, something that will knock me out or make me sleepy. I'm on a really low dose of Ritalin and it's exactly like you said. It makes me slow down. It doesn't make me feel this burst of energy. It sounds like a lot of little sort of diversions to get to something that I guess I should have known in the beginning, which is you have to do your self-care. There's a reason why when you're growing up, your parents make you have a bedtime because your body needs those things. And if you don't take care of yourself, sometimes the consequences can be pretty serious. Absolutely. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, The next episode is going to come out before my birthday, which is November 17th. And I have a very special guest that a lot of you might recognize. Stay tuned.